We're talking about a fixer-upper making relationships beautiful, God working in our homes. And I'm excited about this because if God can work in our families, it can change everything. I mean, it's, it's what causes us to be hypocritical if we talk about it. We say we believe in it, but then when we go home and shut the door, God isn't working there like we want Him to be. And so if God can work in our families, it can change absolutely everything. It can prove that what we say we believe is actually what we believe. Now, where we left off last week is that when it comes to family and with the understanding we have all different types of families... You come from different situations, good situations, bad situations. In the current relationship or family that you're in or the one you grew up in, whatever it may be, there are those of you who are single, who have family that are like family. So we've got all different things that we're bringing to the table here. But the truth is we've all got family and we've all got family issues when it comes to family. And there's a tension that lies in the middle there between what is real, real life, and what is ideal. What Jesus says, hey, this is what family could be like. There's a tension there in the middle. Now, what is real may be for you that over the years you've just grown apart and you feel like there's nothing left anymore, you know? What may be real for you is you went out on a date the other night and you looked over, she's holding hands with the guy on the other side, right? I don't know what may be real for you. It may be that you're a newlywed and it's a lot harder than you thought that it was going to be. It may be that you've tried for years to have kids and you can't have kids. It may be that you do have kids and sometimes you regret it because they've just rebelled and you don't know how to handle everything that's coming your way. You may have family that you don't even speak to anymore. And there's a deep wound that is there because everything that could have been or should have been isn't there. You may have family that refuses to come to church with you. You wish that they would, but they won't. You may have what seems like an ideal family, and you're just kind of bracing yourself because you're thinking to yourself, it can't possibly be this good, right? I don't know what real is for you, but I do know that between whatever is real and the ideal that Jesus sets before us, there's, there's a bit of a tension there because we see what Jesus sets before us and then we look at our real lives and we go, I'm just not quite there. Now, we live in a culture that tries to minimize the tension as much as possible because we don't want anything that makes us uncomfortable. We don't want anything that causes us pain or makes us feel convicted in any way. So even if we have an extremely dysfunctional family, extremely dysfunctional relationships, maybe you're struggling in your marriage, rather than aiming for the ideal, we just try to kind of lower the bar and just say, this is how life is. It's just good enough like this, right? No matter how messed up we may be, and all of us in in our lives, we say that this is the real, and maybe we could just be happy right here. Because we don't want anybody to feel bad, right? It's, it's the culture where every kid gets a trophy. Even if you didn't win any games, you didn't score any goals, we're still going to give every kid a trophy because we don't want anybody to feel bad. So everybody gets an award. And when we, it comes to our relationships, it can kind of be the same way because we could go, okay, I'm really messed up, but let's just give everybody a trophy and say that it's all right and it's good enough. But really when it comes down to it, we may know inside that this isn't quite good enough. This isn't how it's supposed to be. But now it's a whole other thing if somebody else points out to you 
hey, you could be doing a lot better because then they're kind of prying in our business and stepping on our toes. So I do want to give you just a little bit warning today. I may step on your toes a little bit. I'll try to be really gentle. Uh, But I think when it comes down to the real and the ideal we may try to say, okay, this is, this is good enough for us. We're doing the best that we can. But when you think about your kids, when you think about your grandkids, I would dare say that most of us hope for them a little something better than what we had to go through. Because when you think about your kids and your grandkids, you think about what could be ideal. And we want that for them. So I want to encourage you to want that in your own family relationships as well. Whatever the situation of family looks like for you at this point in time, I want to encourage you to look for the ideal in spite of what may be real right now in your life. So we're faced with this this tension of living between what we've experienced and what we know is normal, and then what Jesus says is the ideal. And then, because really there's this concept of ideal, of, okay, this is kind of old-fashioned and this would be really nice... Jesus comes along and he totally raises the standard. He turns it all the way up to 11 and says, okay, you you think you know what the ideal was, but I'm going to raise it even higher. You thought it was this, and now it's going to be that. He's going to take it and raise it to a whole new level. But as we talked about last week, as the standard goes higher, the grace goes deeper. As Jesus says, no, family could be even more. The way you live your life could be even more. But he refuses to condemn those of us that fall short. But he constantly calls us to his high standard. So Jesus lays out this tension before us where the standard goes higher, the grace goes deeper. He continually points towards this ideal saying, you've heard it's this, but it's actually this. And he gives us these illustrations as he's teaching and he's pointing towards this ideal. And at some point, I think we all have to realize I'm never going to be perfect. My kids are never going to be perfect. I do live in the real, but at the same time, I can't lose sight of what is really ideal. And some of you may just say, it's too late for me. But I want to encourage you, that's where the grace of God comes in. Because none of us have gone so far that God's grace cannot reach us where we're at. We also mentioned last week that in the Old Testament, there's practically no good examples of what a family should be. If anything, there's a lot of examples of what a family should not be. Even when we get to the New Testament, there aren't really many good examples of family, but we do have some teaching about how a family should function. So we looked at some of those last week. We summed up the New Testament teaching into these four things. Husbands, love your wives and be considerate. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. That's the New Testament in a nutshell. It's a little bit old-fashioned, isn't it? You know, love my wife? Well, that's not always so easy, right? Submit to your husband? Are you kidding? Have you met that guy? Obey your parents? And your parents are stuck back in 1987. They don't have a clue what's going on. Don't exasperate your kids, dads. Have you met my kids? They exasperate me. Just kidding, kids. I'm going to get a talking to after the service about that. There's this ideal that Jesus points us to. And he says, if we're a Christian, that's how we should live. But what in the world does that really mean for our lives today? Because we could look at that list. Will you put that list back up there for me? And you can just leave it up there for a little bit. We can look at that list and go, fail, 
fail, fail, fail, right? At some point, we failed all of these things right here. So what are we supposed to do? Do we just give everybody a trophy and say, okay, good enough. I mean, at least you tried at one point in your life, right? Jesus says, if you're a Christ follower, I'm not going to give you that option. I'm not going to give you the option of just saying, well, good enough. I'm going to put a standard before you and challenge you to live up to that standard. So what we're going to do today, just for fun, is go ahead and tackle the most difficult one on the list right here. So if you would, I want you just to take a minute, look over the list, give it some deep, deep thought, and I want you to think as you look through that list, what one would be the most politically incorrect? What one would possibly be the one, I can't believe it's in the Bible, I can't stand that verse, especially if I'm a woman. Anything on the list particularly stick out to you right there? Maybe, I don't like that verse. Wives, submit, the S word there, submit to your husbands, right? I mean, if, if you've got a problem with the Bible or you've got a problem with church or church people, this verse right here is gasoline on your fire just to say, that is why I don't want to be a part of this. And this verse often gets misquoted. You know, don't Christians believe, woman, you should submit to your husband, right? Isn't that what Christianity is about? And it often gets misquoted and misrepresented uh, as we look at that. So today we're going to take a little bit of a look at this. And this is actually a very important verse because it's a specific application addressing women to a larger principle that was given to everyone. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22, to read it in full context here, wives submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, if you were to corner me after the service or sometime during the week and say, hey, I want you to explain this verse to me right now because this just doesn't sit well with me. I have a perfectly good answer for you. And if you ever get cornered with this, you can use this answer anytime as well. If somebody asks you about this verse, you just say, if you switch to Geico, you can save 15% on car insurance. (laughs) It's a perfect answer. No, but as we look at this seriously, if, if a guy were to bring this up to me, and say, well, you know, doesn't the Bible say wives are supposed to, to submit to their husbands? I would tell that guy, can you tell me what the first word in that verse is? And if he mumbles through it, I'll, you know, pull up the verse. Let's, let's read it together. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Paul, when he writes this, he's talking to wives. He isn't talking to you, dude. He's talking to the wives as he writes this verse. Now, there are other verses that talk to husbands. They start with the word husband, all right? So, guy, you should probably stick to the ones that say husband and let your wife stick to the one that say wives, right? I got your back, ladies. This is an important verse because it is identifying with the bigger picture here in this ultimate teaching that Jesus is teaching and then disciples are carrying on. And that ultimate teaching is love. As you look at Jesus' teaching, you can sum it up in love, 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 right? What is the greatest commandment of all? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And as Jesus is teaching all of these things, it always goes back to love, love, love. The law can be summed up in that one word, love. So I have a little question for you I want to pose to you today, and I try to challenge myself with this question. That is simply this. 
What does love require of me? What does love require of me? You see, this is the driving ethic and value that Jesus puts before us to live out the Christian faith. If we call ourselves a Christ follower, we need to look at everything through that filter. What does love require of me when I'm at home? What does love require of me when I'm at work? What does love require of me when I'm out in the community? What does love require of me? That's how Jesus looked at everything. And that's how he challenges us to live our lives. So as Paul and Peter are going on and they're establishing the church, as the church is getting going, they're taking everything that Jesus taught them and they're saying, okay, now how do we apply this in the community? What does love require of me? In the church, what does love require of me? And let's apply it in the homes because if it's not happening in the home, it's not going to be real anywhere else. So in the home, what does love require of me? How do we live this out at home? So Paul comes along, he says, how do we apply this to family? And that verse we just looked at that's talking to wives is verse 22 of chapter 5. We're going to go back just one verse to verse 21 where we're going to see the overall principle that All of us are held accountable to. Remember, verse 22 is just one application of the greater principle. In verse 21, it says this, Ephesians 5, 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's talking to all of us. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So let's just knock the wasp nest down right now, all right? And let me me give you a watered-down parallel a little bit, all right? Dental hygiene is important to all of us, every single one of us. Wives, it's important that you brush your teeth every day. Husbands, it's important that you see the dentist on a regular basis. Kids, you also need to floss. And dads, make sure you teach your kids to brush their teeth in circles. All right, now that's not so offensive. Right? I mean, we're talking about dental hygiene. Yes, it's important to everybody. And I just gave you a few examples that really apply to all of us. But I'm talking to specific people in the audience that would hear. So as Paul is talking about love and how we live this out within the family, he says you need to submit to each other. You need to submit yourselves to one another just like you submit to Christ. Wives, here's how you live it out. Husbands, here's how you live it out. Kids, here's how you live it out. Dads, Here's how you teach this to your children. That makes a little more sense, doesn't it? He's telling us to love, love, love. Do what Jesus has called us to do. All of us, if we're a follower of Jesus, he's saying this is how you live it out at home. It's the overarching principle that every one of us must submit to the other people in our family as unto Christ. So this is a tool. All right, power tools, I brought them today. It's a renovation tool for your home. Here it is, mutual submission. In other words, meaning you submit to everyone in your house and you begin to renovate your house as you do. As we submit to each other out of reverence for Christ, notice it says reverence for Christ, because sometimes I am not worth submitting to, right? People in your family may not be worth submitting to. We don't submit to each other because each other isn't always worth submitting to is each other. Speaking as in each other. Right? We can't submit to each other. We have to submit to one another as unto 
Christ. Mutual submission is a tool that can begin to repair what's going on in your family. We should use it often. In other words, it should be a hallmark for the way we live our lives at home, a north star, a principle of how we live in our homes as Christians. The principle of mutual submission says this, I am going to leverage my time, my talent, my resources, my influence for your benefit. As a member of my family, I'm going to leverage who I am for your benefit. So as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife, as a sister, as a brother, as a son, as a daughter, as a granddaughter, as a grandson, whatever it may be, I'm going to leverage who I am and what I have for your benefit. I'm going to look for ways to get up underneath your burden and lift it up for your sake out of reverence for Christ. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He got up underneath the burden of your sin and my sin for our sake and for our benefit and leveraged his time, his talent, his position, and his authority for our sake. The New Testament writers take the actions of Jesus and they say, now let's live this out for one another. We see Jesus do this in John chapter 13 verses 3 through 5. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return from God. All right, so I want to pause right there real quick. Jesus knew. So there's this mental cognition that he realizes he has authority like we could never imagine. He has all authority that has been given to him. From beginning to end. So as he has this mental cognition that he has all the power and all the authority, here's what he does in verse 4. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. Again, he sets the ideal. Here he is with all the power and all the authority. And what does he choose to do? He chooses to submit and serve the family that's with him. Those that are close to him. Here's a great example of somebody who's single but loved family like family, right? They weren't literally his family, but they were like family. So he's serving them out of reverence. And he's demonstrating for us How we live that. Now, here's a good point. The more power, the more authority that you have, the greater degree that you should serve those around us. Jesus sets that standard. And just as Jesus submitted himself, so everyone in the family should submit themselves to everyone else in the family, not because they deserve it, not because they've been good enough. Not because dinner was good enough or the house was clean enough or whatever it may be. We submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Listen, if we're talking family, if we're talking work, school, if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian, as we begin to apply this principle in our life, it can make a huge difference in our lives. When we say to those around us that I'm going to loan you my power, my influence, my resources, my status for your benefit, it makes a tremendous impact 
on their lives. As I was thinking about this, I kept thinking about people in our church, and there's so many of you here that I think are great examples, but there, there's two different examples that I thought, I mean, I just cannot mention those, even though some of you are familiar with their stories, because I think they are great examples. Alan Jan Hasler. I mean, you look at these two people, and their love for one another is like a Hallmark movie. I mean, you know, come on, guys. And it just keeps growing and growing. But the way that they serve one another and the way they serve their kids and their grandkids and even their church family is amazing. They live this out. How can I get under your burden to help you? I'm going to use whatever power and authority I have to help you. Another uh, example I have of this is my friend Miguel Meza right here. He's a single man, but he has family. He has friends that are like family and family that is like family that's extended family. But over and over and over again, even if people aren't his family, I continually see him living it out. How can I get under your burden to help you out, to serve you, whether that's people who are in a nursing home or people under a bridge or just people that he hangs out with? How can I get under that burden? Paul says, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what God asks us to do for those who are in our family. The message of mutual submission says, I am here for you regardless of hierarchy. All right? Even if I'm the head of the home, I'm the man of the home, I am here for your benefit. Nobody in this family is more important than anybody else in this family. Mutual submission can be lived out with a simple tool. So, if this is our tool, mutual submission, I'm going to give you a drill bit to put in there. Something that is going to help you to use this tool so that you can live it out. I'm even going to try to put it in there straight. There we go. I'm going to give you something to try to use this tool in your house every day to make it real handy dandy. All right? Simple question that's the drill bit in that tool is this. What can I do to help? How can I leverage who I am for your benefit? All right? So... We're all going to practice this. I'm going to count down from three in just a second, and I want us all to say this. What can I do to help? All right? So all of us doing that, even if you're at home watching online, do this with us. And you might want to say it kind of softly because if somebody's in the other room, they might answer you, and then you have to get up and unload the dishwasher. Uh, So three, two, one. What can I do to help? One more time for good measure. Three, two, one. What can I do to help? All right, if we would begin to put this into our lives as we serve one another, if this begins to become part of the DNA of our family, where we're saying, all that I am for all that you are for your benefit, it would begin to really change our lives. Now, students, those of you in here who are in middle school and high school, I'm just going to talk to you for a second. Parents, you can daydream about lunch here for a little bit. I want to talk to you, students. Because if you go home and do this, ask this question to your parents, they might just start trembling and not know what to do with themselves. And you can just go up to your room and take credit for it afterwards, right? Because you've asked this question and they may still be emotionally impacted later just by saying, what can I do to help you? You might even take over your whole family by beginning to ask this question on a more regular basis. Now, I'm going to give you a tip to give you super-duper bonus points on the quiz right here, students. If you ask this question in front of your parents' friends, 
you get super bonus points, right? Your parents have friends over. You just casually go up and say, hey, mom, dad, is there anything that I can do to help? And then you can walk back to your room. Your parents' friends will come to your parents and say, teach us a wise one. We, have, we know nothing about parenting. How in the world do you raise these kids? I'm just telling you, students, if you just simply start to ask this question to your parents, it could make a big difference. Parents, depending on what stage you're at in your parenting life, because you're always looking for those teachable moments, right? A lot of times we're instructing, instructing, correcting, teaching, looking for those opportune moments where we can kind of give them some wisdom and point them in the right direction. If we would just begin to make this a regular practice in our family's lives where we look at our children in the eye and say, what can I do to help you? Here's what that can do for you. Is it, it can shift the conversation from feeling like it's always going negative. Like it's always a lecture, right? When your child begins to understand that you are there for them, to help them. Now, I understand sometimes they don't necessarily know what they need. Sometimes you know better what they need than they can know for themselves. If, that were, if they knew what they need, my son would eat Doritos for every meal and that would be it, you know. Sometimes you know better, but... If you begin to make this a regular practice in your home, asking your children, what can I do for you? It can make a big difference. Ladies, wives, girlfriends, fiancés, hopefully not all at once, but whatever category you find yourself in. This can be a powerful question to a man. And you know what we're going to say most of the time, right? I don't need any help. What are you talking about? You know, I don't need any help with anything. But what it says When you ask your husband this, is it says to them, I understand you carry a lot of weight and I understand that your time is important and that you have a lot to do. And if there's anything that I can do to help you go further, faster, to be the leader of our home, I want to help you do that. That can be a powerful question to put into your relationship to your husband. Now, men, we can be scared of this question. Because to ask this question to your wives or to your children, to some degree, could feel like you're surrendering your leadership. To say, is there anything that I can do to help you? And for whatever reason, God has made many of you men leaders of your house. I don't know why. Women are smarter a lot of times. Women are more organized a lot of times. But for whatever reason, God has made many of you leaders within your home. And we have to be willing to ask this question. To say, is there anything I can do, even if it's on my way out the door, you know, in the morning? Is there anything that I can do to help you today? Now, guys, if I can step on your toes here for just a moment. I think that sometimes, and I'll say this, I'll just step on my own toes, all right? Because as I prepared for this message, I realized I'm preaching to myself as I say this next part. I am guilty of this myself. I think sometimes our wives may be afraid to ask us to help with anything because before we even answer yes or no, they feel a resistance from us because my time is important and I'm busy and I got to make money for this family. And so they feel a resistance. Don't ask him for anything. And what happens in that situation is your wives try to lean in to lean in, to lean in to where you're at. And your kids, they lean in and they lean in and they lean in. Everybody trying to help 
dad out and the house begins to orbit around you a little bit. And then eventually they lean in so far they just fall over. And everything can begin to collapse a little bit. And guys, I understand that you can be in a situation where you feel like if it would just go the way you wanted it all to go, you would be happy, but I know you, it still wouldn't make you happy. Happiness does not come from being in control. Happiness does not come from being the boss. You are going to find fulfillment when you give yourself away. When you give yourself away just like Jesus did for you. So when we ask the question, it opens the door. Am I willing to leverage all that I am for all that you are? I don't just expect you to leverage your time and resources for me, but I'm going to leverage all that I am for all that you are today. So is there anything I can do for you today? Is there any way that I can help? Now, there is a barrier here that I want to warn you about, and that's fear. Sometimes we can be a little bit fearful of this, maybe sometimes more men than women, but especially kids too, right? Students, if you ask your parents what can you do to help, you may end up pulling weeds or washing the car, you know? And, and we, we have this feeling that if we ask, what can I do to help, somebody may take advantage of our time. Somebody may take advantage of us. They may take us off the course that we feel like we're on or whatever it was that we wanted to do that day. We're afraid that they're going to have an answer for us, right? Husbands, you ask your wife, is there anything I can do to help? And she's just going to go over and open up the closet and pull out that box of Ikea furniture that's been in there for six months and shake her head at you and just point, you know, and you hate putting that furniture together. You know, we're afraid that if we ask, there may be an answer that's going to pull us off of where we are at. Ephesians 5.21, submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. It's almost as if God the Father is looking down at humanity, His creation, His children, and Jesus says, what can I do to help as it's in disarray and sin? Jesus says, what can I do to help? And God the Father would say, you don't want to know. You don't want to know. It's going to cost you your life. Jesus would say, I can do that. God the Father would say, you're going to have to get in line behind everybody else. The worst of the worst, you have to get in line behind them. I'll do that. Out of reverence for Jesus, we throw open the door to our time. We throw open the door to our resources. We throw open the door to our influence to say, I make it available for you to get under your burden and help to lift it up. And yes, just like happened with Jesus, you may get taken advantage of. Just as we have taken advantage of Jesus. You may have to go to the back of the line, even as the head of your household But as a Jesus follower, we are called to do what he did for us. We are called to serve our families. Now, it's not going to cost us our life, more than likely, but it probably will cost us some time, some influence, some energy, some money. But because what makes a great family is when we realize I am willing to leverage me for us, it is worth 
asking the question and putting that into our lives and our households. Happiness will not come from getting everybody to do what you want them to do. Happiness will come when we mutually submit to one another. What can I do for you? This is a question that we need to ask our families on a regular basis. But the question may come up. So does this mean that nobody in my family has authority, right? Where do you want to go to eat? Wherever you want to go. No, wherever you want to go. No, wherever you want to go. Nobody can make a decision because everybody is serving everybody else and there's no decisions made and there's no authority in the home. Doesn't somebody have to be in charge? The answer is definitely yes. Mutual submission has nothing to do with who's in charge. It has everything to do with what you do with the authority that God has already given you. Mutual submission has nothing to do with making decisions, but it has everything to do with how you view making decisions. Dad, if you're the leader of your home, in the same way that Jesus did, in the same way that he led the church, we should serve our families We have this fear that by giving ourselves away that maybe we wouldn't be able to lead anymore, but really it's quite the opposite. I mean, think about it for a minute. Would we dare say that there's no way Jesus could be the head of the church? He gave his life away. He died, right? There's no way he could be the head of the church. It's actually the opposite. He's the head of the church because he gave his life away. The more authority that you have to the greater degree... You should serve your family. The more power that you have, the better servant that you should be. You should ask this question more than anybody else. If you're the head of your home, what can I do to help? Now, if you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you, this will still help your life. Simply by asking others in your home, in the workplace, what can I do to help? You can even wait a few weeks so people don't think, hey, you got that at church, didn't you? You know, you can just let it sit for a little bit and then casually bring it up. Hey, is there anything that I can do to help? But if you are a Christian, Jesus doesn't really give us a choice. He says, this is how we're supposed to live life. Love, love, love. Serve one another. Now, this is a very practical message, more practical than most of the ones that we've done here. But I want to encourage you, this isn't just a self-help message. If you're thinking that at all, of oh, let's help one another and love one another. You know, this is the gospel. Because Jesus demonstrated this for us. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless, helpless meaning we needed what? Help, right? While we needed help, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we needed it, right? Not when it was convenient to him and on his timetable, you know? Oh, sorry, you died in your sin, I was busy. You know? On our timetable, he died for us. Verse 7. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us us. Those ungodly people that he's talking about there, you and me, those are people who didn't deserve what Christ gave. Now the truth is you may be living with people in your family or have extended family that don't deserve this question. What can I do to help? But while we were ungodly, Christ demonstrated this to us by dying for our sins. 
Christ is saying, what can I do to help? And he gets under your burden and my burden and lifts that up. And then it's like Paul is saying, imagine how this would be if we lived this out in a family. If you and I begin to serve one another with mutual submission, loving one another as unto Christ. He was saying, this is how we can see God moving in our homes. And we want to see God moving in the homes of the people here at Rock Hills. And so I want to encourage you. Something so simple as just saying, what can I do to help? Let's put that into our lives. Let's submit ourselves to one another, to all the people in our family. Let's submit ourselves. Wives, let's submit. Husbands, let's submit. Children, let's submit. Fathers, let's teach them to submit. Mutual submission. What can I do to help? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. Lord, we need your help. We've needed your help and you got under our burden. And if there's anybody in here today that still you're in that place where you are the ungodly and you need Jesus to come and rescue you from where you're at, I encourage you just take a moment and say, Jesus, I surrender all that I am to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please take my burden away that I could be yours. Make me your own, Jesus. Father, help us to live this out as you did that for us. Help us to do that for the people in our families. In Jesus' name, amen.